Welcome to Bread and Milk. I'm Naomi Devlin and I'll be taking you on a soothing ramble through the food memories and life stories of some of my favourite people. So this week's guest is my good friend Mark Diacono. He is a, a gardener of all sorts of very interesting and unusual plants and uh, I first met him strangely he taught at River Cottage but I first met him actually after he'd left River Cottage and I started teaching there and he was in my mind he was a legend and I was just really pleased that he I first had a phone call with him and then we later worked together but I felt as though I'd known him for years instantly and ever since then we've just struggled to get off the phone <laughs> so <laughs> we're both a pair of uh, enthusiastic talkers let's say and he since then has gone on to write some of the most amazing beautiful cookbooks beautifully written and full of that that sense of connection to the food that is grown in his garden uh, but also a, a feeling of seasonality and recently he's got into fermenting so he wrote a book sour on fermenting and then his latest book herb is a, a journey through all the different herbs except for lemon balm which he absolutely will not bring into the kitchen you must never mention it in his in his presence uh, it can stay in the garden as far as he's concerned <laughs> which I love I like that kind of strength of opinion about things because why should we like everything and if you like lemon balm that's all uh, that's fine that's absolutely fine just don't tell Mark anyway so we had uh, a conversation it was interesting because this podcast is about food memories but actually our conversation really was about uh, his journey into becoming a food writer and he's in such a good place now he is such a successful author and uh, it feels like uh, talking about and understanding that journey I think is is really interesting because it mirrors a lot of people who may have struggled to find exactly what it is that they want to do and when you finally find it god the relief and the feeling of having won the lottery because, and it might not be that you are rolling in money, but essentially it's about that quality of life that you get from doing something that really, really feeds your soul. And writing about food is absolutely what feeds Mark's soul. Uh, so yeah, we had a lovely conversation and I hope you enjoy it. frozen brownie frozen chocolate brownie is that what you're eating mm. it's something it's like the only thing better than a sausage is a cold sausage the only thing better than a brownie is one that's been frozen that you take out and you it's got that more chewiness because it's been frozen and it I is do. still kind of half frozen yeah i like a chilled brownie i like to really undercook my brownie and mm. then so you've just got like you've got the great crisp top and then you've got mm. the cakey edges mm. but then the center essentially is a truffle and then you chill it and it's a truffle, and you cut it in little thin slices. Oh, yeah, no, okay, and just let a waffle. Oh, you! I did Man, see. I'm, 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 I'm. Uh, do you know what? I, I, I'm better than I was, but um, I, I, I recognise that the sweet spot for me is a small, intense thing, rather than you know. I, I never want to see a Victoria sandwich cake ever. Again. I'm not. I couldn't. I could never have One been less interested. But I'm not. High yeah, gattos. you know. I, I couldn't care less. I'm not interested. I want something really intense, yeah. but smaller. But my mind says, oh, much bigger than that. Have, have big, have more of it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, well, actually, I'm, I'm the same with chocolate. I don't like Nick bought a bar of um, Tony's Chocolonely. Have you, Ooh, have you seen no, that? It's, no. They sell it in Waitrose anyway. It's a kind of brand that's, you know, a niche fancy, but it's like fancy Yorkie almost you know fancy like Yorkie fancy crap chocolate so it's very you're, you're talking my language it's a bit yeah it's I think the bar is like 300 grams maybe so it's okay. like the kind of chocolate you buy when you're on holiday so when we're on holiday in Spain we always buy uh, the toasted almond chocolate and nice. it's like crack 
and we just go through it and crisp and chocolate that's like that uh, the only thing oh. on holiday it's like no oh woo, we're on the, jo- the joy of I, I, honestly i think there's there's that there's a lovely kind of middle land between um a biscuit a bar of chocolate and then there's a whole world of things that if you buy them for yourself it is when you're on holiday yeah. do you know what i mean i'll put it to you no one buys no one no one goes out buys a load of veg and comes back with um a box of matchmakers do you know what i mean it's just you just don't do it do you you no, might get yourself they don't some, go together they just don't but christmas yes uh if you you know if you're around at your parents or, or whatever yes um but i i don't i again i don't believe that somebody's just gone to the shop and go i'll have the daily mail and um a terry's chocolate orange yeah no you just <laughs> yeah. don't you just don't that's that's ter- chocolate orange is holiday Sorry. but that's actually festival food that's not you wouldn't buy that True. you wouldn't go to on holiday to spain buy one there no it's 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 celebration time but can i just say you have it's one of those where you have to say terry's chocolate orange Yes, it is. Sorry, it, it, Terry's it, chocolate orange. Yeah, it's that Cadbury's curly whirly. It has to. They have to go together for reasons unknown. Oh, I've never called it Cadbury's curly whirly. I think you're taking it. But I was going to say that about that. Ch- um, the chocolate only is that actually I I don't want the crack chocolate anymore. I don't enjoy okay. it, and okay. I want the really intense espresso ninety percent. And it's not like a lot of people are saying, oh yes, I eat ninety percent when I'm being good. And I think no, I don't want any any less percent than that because I want a hit. I want the chocolate to hit me in the face. Yep. And when it's the sweetness, I feel a little bit short changed. I'm like. I want more chocolate in this chocolate. You think this yeah. is the, the the confectionery version of um, shifting towards drinks like Negronis rather than kind of gin and tonics? You know, where you want, um, you know, a proper wakey wakey. You want it to go straight to the hearts of your very being, rather than be kind of diluted there on a sea of, you know, a mixer. Is, yeah. I wonder if that's a similar thing. I think. Well, that's exactly me. You've just described me because I either don't drink, so I won't drink for months, mm-hmm. and then all I want is mezcal. I mean, pretty much all I drink is mezcal. Wow. You know, fire water. Kind of. Uh, Literally. I think the percentage is about forty-seven to fifty percent. I can never. And you drink. just sip it, and it's smoky, and <clears throat> oh. you get like petrichor flavors in it. You know. Oh petrichor? wow! Yes. Yeah. 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 See, I, see, I, I'm a, I'm an Islay whiskey person, but there um, you go. And, and and everything you're saying makes me want to reinvestigate it. But the the tequila Yahtzee Christmas of 1988 uh, distanced me greatly from any tequila-like beverage. <laughs> the, the tequila Yahtzee Christmas. The tequila Yahtzee Christmas Eve, um, where I was sharing a house with a lot of people, and somebody had the idea that we should play Yahtzee, and people came around. We were going to go to the pub, and it was going to be a nice day, and then da da da. And somebody said, let's play Yahtzee. And then somebody said, every time somebody gets a Yahtzee, we've all got to drink a shot of tequila. And this, you know, it's about half 10, 11 in the morning. And um, <laughs> I, stay, I stayed on my friend's sofa and my friend was living with his mum. And I know it was so bad the next day. I had to walk two miles to get to my dad's for Christmas Day. And I walked up the white line in the middle of the road to make sure I got there. I just didn't mm. know. I didn't know my name. I didn't, you know, the, it was, it was, you know, people have those really excellent drinking stories. We go, oh, then I ended up in Siberia and it was, I was dressed like a clown. This was everything that advises you never to drink anything again. Um, and you yeah, soiled oh, yourself. I, <laughs> you you could, were rude my, to people. <laughs> my friend Chris, who I was with and whose house I stayed in or his mum's house, he got up, felt like death ran himself a bath, got in it, and then vomited in the bath, which is just about the definition of oh how bad Christmas can get. Lying in sick soup. It's not a so good way to be. It's something from train spotting, isn't it? It totally is. And you see, my dad, my dad was a very peculiar man in so many ways. Uh, one of the things he liked to do was to, um, he, he liked to get everything out of the way. So if there was anything to do on a, on a particular day, Let's get it done. And then I've got the whole day to do absolutely nothing. It wasn't like he was clearing space for a hobby or to read. He just did nothing. 
And so I get to my dad's like 25 to 11. He's got, right, just in time. I'm just putting it on the table, the Christmas dinner. Oh. I get 25 to 11, and I'm like, oh, for heaven's sake. And that, that and then, and, and um, yeah, I mean, but he was odd. Um, and that, and, and especially about food in lots of ways. But mm. um, that was that was not a good Christmas. But I've but, I've, I've 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 yet to cross the boundary again with anything tequila like. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, a lot of people have stories like that about the tequila. It's a, a particular thing, isn't it? It's not a. <clears throat> it's a, it is totally all or nothing. It's and the, people it, don't. Why don't people? It's just booze. Why don't people go that way with other booze? I think it's um, what it is with tequila. I think it's a couple of things. Um, I think there's a sort of the culture of it is quite celebratory, isn't it? The kind of mental culture of it is quite. Well, hey, I'm on holiday, you know, um, and it's a little bit, what is it a little bit? It's a little bit kind of um, Mexican road trip. You know, there's mm. you, you know, there's a little bit of you that, you know, it's perfectly all right to sit and sniff and worry a glass of, I don't know, glass of single malt all evening. But if you've got something, like there's, there's something just quietly telling you to throw it in yourself and follow it with another one, um, and there's something in the genetic makeup, I think, of of um, both tequila and Cinzano that just makes you forget that this stuff isn't um, the 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 elixir of life. You know, it it, <laughs> it 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 just makes you go, yes, yeah, please. The more I have of this, the greater I'm going to ascend to a higher being. Um, That's so that funny, isn't it? Because it tequila is strong you can but it's, you're right it's the shock culture it's people yeah. have this idea because when I drink mezcal I drink it like a whiskey and I sip mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. uh because if you throw it back at 47 percent your your head's on fire it will <laughs> throw itself right back at you yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> but actually there's that culture with tequila where you think oh I must chuck this back and there's a whole ritual I mean I'm sure you weren't doing with the lime and the salt but and and in fact most people drinking tequila in Mexico wouldn't be doing that either would they no, that, no. but there's that kind of yeah we used to drink it in the in the 90s we used to drink it with kava so you'd have kava <laughs> and tequila I don't know what that's the equivalent of <laughs> that's quite remarkable that's like <laughs> when when we were all Little, little punks in uh, in Exmouth, you know, you'd stick you'd stick three anodine in, into your into your can of Heineken, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah, just really make sure that this completely it's, sorts you out. It's kind of knock you <laughs> knock you sideways, yeah. Well, it did, and what what it had was because there is a kind of um like a an uplifting quality to tequila because we always used to drink tequila at the end of the night, and mm -hmm. you'd be like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to go on to a club now. Let's move on to the tequila, but tequila with kava because of all the bubbles and I guess it just gets into your system quickly and you'd have wow. a couple of those and you'd be instantly, you're flying you're yeah. absolutely flying yeah. I, I, I there was um I can't I don't know if there's a name I think there is a name for it but I won't I, I, I could fish around forever and not remember it but um vodka tia maria martini and lemonade oh yeah now the, <clears throat> the weird thing with that right sounds like cough mixture <laughs> yeah no it does but it it smells, and I promise I'm not, it's not even like it's close. If I gave you a glass of that, you go, that's cream soda all day long. That's cream soda all day oh, long. Really? That's non-alcoholic. Um, it's I'm just having a cream soda. It's totally cool. And that does the same thing. You, you know, one of those, and you can do anything. And 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 it's like throwing a, a um, it's like throwing a, a a tire over the side of a boat that you then realize is attached to a whole load of other tires and yeah. it drags them all off so you've suddenly had five of these things and you're just you're either raging or absolutely you know as in yeah. totally flying having a wild time or you're totally depressed and removed of all um cheeriness for the rest of your life you know it's it's just a really right. odd drink and that was that christmas it sounds like it's, it wasn't the former it was, it was, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's an odd drink, that one. Um, again, they, they have their time and a place, and then you find yourself waking up in a commercial oven somewhere uh, <laughs> and, and, and not very happy with yourself the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> have you ever woken up in a commercial oven? I did. I shouldn't tell you this story, um, but I will. I, I had a cold, quite a bad cold, and a friend had a party in, at this grand house in um, Plymouth. And loads of us went 
to it you know minibuses full mm. and um it was a fancy dress party and me and i mean the, the very words fancy dress fill me with horror you know there's there's no worse time i can have than fancy dress um, and the and the theme was irish i think what am i going to go is it going to go as leprechaun or whatever. i'll go as boy george <laughs> oh, God. so i went as boy george and um and um i had this bit of a cold so i went in there and i'm thinking why are they giving everyone um guinness in um champagne glasses but you know hey there must be what seven of these to um to a pint but it was guinness and champagne um black velvet yeah and i drank a very great deal of those and i woke up in the morning in a commercial oven dressed as boy george with <laughs> half half of a jacket potato that i'd thrown up in the night by my mouth it, i'm inside an oven <laughs> at this point forgetting i'm dressed as boy george walking around this party you know people it's like the bomb had hit town <laughs> and that that I didn't drink for a very long time after that because oh. I was I was seeing things I was shaped I had everything going on wow. um but of course no one took me seriously because I looked like boy George um did you have the full makeup face the whole makeup, deal the makeup. whole deal the hair everything the I'm whole trying to visualize lot. it now I'm so glad that we are in a time of um that was a time of no mobile phones yeah it wouldn't yeah. have i mean no that was that was there was one of, there, were, there were moments in my life where i um blush very red even if i'm thinking about it on my own and some of the things that occurred that evening are exactly that oh we're not you're not going to treat us to them now i'm going to treat you to none of those <laughs> none of those at all i can understand yeah. something's best left where they go. well you know after a couple of rinks you everyone can see you as boy george but you forget you're dressed as boy george so that adds a layer of comedy to everything yeah. um but no it wasn't it wasn't my finest moment <laughs> I used to love fancy dress because I because I trained as a costume designer mm. all of our um college parties there was this pressure on the costume designers to show up in the most incredible fancy dress and so like one uh one Halloween I went full Edwardian so I had an Edwardian kind of dress with a bustle and a tight a corset and everything and then white face you know like the the kind of yeah yeah. Um, like the Dia de los Muertos, and uh, and and then uh, there was a kind of competition. I won the competition, and it was like after that, where do you go? Where Once do you you've go? kind of gone that far, next time, you know, yeah. You can't, you can't, um, you can't. There's no putting on a hat and just a a, a, a couple of guns on your hip, is there? Like calling <laughs> yourself a cat. You've got to go. I didn't know you cost. That's really interesting. That's my first degree, yeah. Well, my first career was as a costume designer. You're yeah, a yeah. fascinating woman, Amy Devlin. Oh. I've always said that. I, I always, I've known you quite a while now, and I'm always discovering new and fascinating things about you. Because <laughs> you're always, it's always like you discover new things about people if you know them a while, but it's they're not always fascinating. And yeah, you're is, like, you were the president of Belize. What? I don't <laughs> believe it. What? You're the, you're the, you came third in the yak wrestling of Dorset in 1974. I would never come third in that competition. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm sure that you would. You would have come second. I would have come first. Come on, I'm very try hard. So I wanted to go back to your dad. You said your dad was a very odd man. Yes. And I remember you telling me about some of the weird things that you ate as a, as a young man, as a youth. And, uh, and so you came up in the kind of late 60s, 70s, when when food was uh, uh, something else, wasn't it? You know, totally different. But, but and and it's I guess I want to kind of put the scene a bit because for people who know you now, you're you are absolutely a cook from scratch. Uh, everything about you is about about growing and then using the produce and seasonality and your food has this kind of authenticity, but that is not where you came from, is it? God, no, no. I mean, it, 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 um, no, my, um, my parents split up and I did this, I did this kind of 
weird thing. I was about 10 and my, it became very obvious. My sister who was younger than me was going with my mum kind of by default because she was the young one. And I did that kind of um, 10 year old boy thing of going, well, it better be even sides. I better stay with dad. So I stayed with my dad. Um, and we were, you know, pretty skint and um, all of that stuff. And he, he wasn't someone, he, he didn't really kind of have a repertoire so much as a kind of short rotor of um, generally spicy things. So he was, he was born in <laughs> Sri Lanka. Ah. So he just, yeah, he just put chilies in everything. Um, uh, yeah, so it, 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 it was really peculiar, but it was also that time where um, there were a couple of things going on. So everything was suddenly being advertised on telly and there was a whole wave of this kind of news, you know, new stuff. You're going, oh my God, this sounds amazing. What do you mean? Cheese in triangles uh, and a wheel that you pull out these kind of, you know, six triangles and you can squish that on top. God, cheese. And I remember seeing, um, yeah, I mean, just like, this was beyond the future. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember a, a thing called toast toppers. I don't know if they're still available, but they were kind of toast short. Toast toppers. Toast toppers. Little tins, so way smaller than a tin of beans or tomatoes. And um, they, oh man, I mean, I, I, I was daydreaming about them the other day. Um, essentially, you, 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 get, you, you make some toast and then you, you open this can and you smear this um, stuff that kind of looks like molten cheese that would have either bits of bacon or mushroom or chicken in it, but had all of that smoky, salty, fatty, just delight and I would just dad get some bloody whatever's um you know get some toast and, he, and if he did I mean that was it my weekend was done I didn't need anything else to happen you know I just did nothing else to happen than to have these um things so it really oh. was like I, it, was I, I a, it was so it was a treat or it was totally. something that you yeah uh, yeah yeah I mean we were proper you know we didn't we didn't have any money at all you know mm. um and and you know most of the time we just um it was it was a sort of diet of um, fat and sugar, really, you know, mm. with with some plenty of cheap meat. So there was a sort of patch of time where we suddenly became exoticized by a, a wave of things. All that seemed to happen at once, like the duvet coming, right? Mm. The duvet came. It was like I, I remember being in a shot with my dad and um, him going, you know, we're going to get duvets, which was like we just never got anything you know it was like what's a duvet it's like look and he and it was like a you know i, I was looking at going, how does that tuck in you know it's like you can't tuck them in but at the same time pasta arrived you know it's yeah. like oh my god we're nearly italian yeah you know, uh, this <laughs> well, is ridiculous duvets were so foreign to us that my mum called them dovets Dovets. yes it, the dovets. it's just great it's, i think for about four months um Everyone called them continental quilts. Continental quilts. Because we were exactly. like, yeah, on the, on the continent, what they do is they put them on and they don't tuck them in. And I was yeah. kind of going, you don't tuck them in? But, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I love being tucked in really hard so I couldn't move. Oh, really? I don't, you tell me, uh, yeah, this Dr. Is... Freud, where that's going. <laughs> but, but, I was just going to say. Just, yeah. But, um, I lo- I, you know, I used to absolutely love being sort of immobilised by being tucked in really hard. Wow. Because I would say that that's what most people hate. That's yeah. what I hate. In fact, I can't even bear if the duvet weighs my feet down. I pull it up over my feet. I've got to have and my so feet out. Yeah. that kind of release in the 70s of having to be tucked in I remember going to my grandparents in Kalini and then and, and it was like a it's like you were being mummified <laughs> when you went to bed you'd have the sheet and the blanket and then another blanket and then the, you know you've been shrink wrapped <laughs> they're not going anywhere <laughs> yeah exactly. you're like well, what if I need a wee <laughs> yeah, hard luck yeah, Sorry, then you get, you get, the bed. yeah then you get told off for that yeah, but I couldn't yeah. move <laughs> I couldn't have gone to the loo if I wanted so yeah, the Dovet was such a release. Well, I remember the first night of, of, of having one, I so couldn't get over this thing of not being tucked in that I, um, that it, it sounds crazy, but what I did was I laid it out on the bed and I, I, I laid myself at one edge of the bed, put a little bit under my arm and just rolled myself up into this oh, kind of continental chrysalis. Like a little burrito. Where was it where you grew up? In Exmouth, so, you know. It was Exmouth, but you've, so you've not actually gone that far in terms of geography, but you've gone a long way. I mean, 
I would say you're bourgeois now. You and that's absolute, not a slur because I know, also am. <laughs> you absolute soft. You know what? I was. Uh, it was funny. I was thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking. Uh, you know, I was thinking about toast toppers, and I was also thinking about fish paste. You know, those little tins, yes. a little little jars of fish paste, because I was having. Um, we had a shoot yesterday um, here, photo shoot for the next book, and I was. Um, uh, potted crab was involved, and I thought, "You big ponce, Diakono. You know, you can. Th- it just shows you can. You can." You can ponce, food ponce, you can make a food ponce out of even the most council kid. Um, you know, it's gone from Shippham's fish paste to potted crab with delightful <laughs> mace that's been uh, sourced from, you know, the right places. It's very, it's very ridiculous. But do you not think that there's something about, I mean, because my background is, it's slightly different in that we were bourgeois, absolutely brassic. Mm-hmm. So we were bourgeois hippies who had no money. and But my mum had an education. Her family were all professionals and artists and everything. And so the kind of food we were eating was that kind of proper 70s, mm-hmm. absolutely cost nothing, fish paste, totally. Mm-hmm. But her parents would have eaten the kind of fancier stuff. And so I always knew that that we were slumming it and we, I used to right. kind of tell people at school how poor we were there was like it was like that Monty Python sketch you know oh I used to wake <laughs> up and have a piece of coal for breakfast you know and actually we used to do that oh I'm poorer than you I'm poorer than you but it was like a kind of inverse That's really uh, chest beating do you think that you appreciate stuff in a different way because you you didn't have it all when you were a kid and it's like when you find that stuff when you get older you're like wow this this potted crab is it's not fish paste it's not like oh I should be making do with fish paste yeah potted crab is the thing it's not just fancy it's delicious and beautiful and it's made with with precious and simple ingredients Mm. so does that make you a ponce well you know what it's it I think it's it's funny because when when I was a kid I tell you what's funny you know you know like if 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 you kind of live a fairly skint existence and you're in a city you rub that that might be a bit more hardcore but you rub up against all these things to aspire to don't you rub up against all of these kind of other cultures other degrees of wealth all this stuff Mm. living in small town west country um you know, in the council house, all of that stuff. You, I mean, that's just life, you know. So there's never, there was never any sense of aspiration or that you should get out of, this was a thing to get out of. And, and, and to the point that I remember when we got duvets, I remember lying in bed thinking, does this make us posh? Um, you know, it's kind of tempting to see the sort of classic kind of, or see it in that classic arc of, um, you know, I then went to university and no one in our family had and then I you know now I write books and you know I live in a house that's not a council house so um you know there's this kind of progression out of what and I don't really see it like that you know I I I, I see my job is to live a happy life mm. and the trouble for me is that I'm quite a complicated soul so I've I, it, it's taken me a long time to get to get to understand myself enough and mm. to find my place in the world enough to now be really like my default is really happy you know what I mean really Mm. content in a way that it was very much restless and feeling out of whack with everything you know deeply unemployable the message to me was I was not right I wasn't good and all of this stuff so there have been sort of various sort of awakening moments in my life and the good thing about that is that um I appreciate everything, you know, I appreciate, I mean, as, as in, I'm, I'm, by that, I mean, the really simple things. And it's really quite nice because like my wife, Candida, you know, she was, she's always like, you're always thinking about what you're having for tea when you're having breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I know. But if I know there's just lovely food coming, mm. then my default setting for the day is pretty good. And my, by, def, by lovely, th- I might just be egg on toast or something, but it's exactly what I fancy. Yeah. And it's really interesting with this whole kind of lockdown thing when my daughter Nell's been at home um, with school. And I'm like, you know, we, have, we had a few of those chats, how you doing, how, how is it? And she's like, it really makes a difference if we have a lovely lunch. 
and even if it's she said it just gives you something to look forward to all morning and then if there's lovely tea you have a lovely tea and it's like and it and by that I don't mean pompsy or silly but I think yeah I think all of those things I just feel like I do just enjoy the little stuff which is kind of how you want to be isn't it yeah well it is a good stuff and it doesn't have to be food does it it's for me if I can get out and I know you're a great walker mm. I mean you your mm. Instagram is full of beautiful coast walks and that feeling of if there's a walk ahead of you in the day or for oh, me if there's yeah. a swim ahead or if there yeah. isn't a swim oh my god I'm a grumpy girl <laughs> so mm -hmm. so that that thing of having something treaty to look forward to and I guess that that uh, well you said about your dad didn't you earlier um because we've just had Nick's dad to stay and he we were saying <laughs> that ironically in his old age he's turned into a kind of zen master um because we were just sitting yesterday it was a rainy day and we were just sitting yesterday in the kitchen and I would always be doing something generally mm. uh just not necessarily to be doing to be busy but if there's space if there's time I'll fill it with something mm. and he was just sitting there and I felt compelled to entertain him um in fact Nick did dance at one point <laughs> so like, this is That's ridiculous <laughs> but I said to him I feel the need to entertain you because you're just sitting there and are you thinking about things or you do you want to do something are you feeling how are you feeling and he said uh, I'm fine I'm just happy just sitting here and there isn't really anything going on in my head that's really interesting yeah and he but in but not in the kind of I'm sitting here feeling grumpy or undercompensated or anything or needing entertainment mm. I'm just looking out the window there's a big picture window there there wasn't even much happening it's not that there were birds going by or anything but I'm just mm. looking out there and my mind is wondering and I was just saying this is mindfulness if, if you weren't a kind of an ex-logistics manager <laughs> with a with a you know with a foul mouth then uh, then people would say you were some kind of mindfulness guru and actually it's sometimes it's, really it's just how you phrase it and it sounds like that's what your dad did it's like get everything done and then I can just allow myself to drift through the rest of the day mm. It does sound like that's what he did, but um, but was it not like that? It really wasn't like that. No, he was. Oh, the, tell me. He was just grumpy from Gruntsville. I can see that his that his life was kind of shaped by a series of disappointments that sort of are relatively minor, but if you are living in a world and a time where, um and a place and a culture where your job is to get a job and then your job is to stay in that job. Mm. Um, and that's the limit of your, um, you know, your, your expectations of life. Then it doesn't take a whole lot to kind of demolish the pleasures that go with that, you know? Um, so it was, it was interesting. And, and he, he died 20 years ago, but his sister died about, I don't know, seven eight years ago and it was what was really interesting is um so that you know went to the funeral there's a wake afterwards in the pub everyone's having a pint you know and all of that stuff and I'm sat around in this kind of roped off corner of the pub you know with people I'm going you look like a cousin but I haven't seen you since I was 12 you know you look mm -hmm. like an auntie that you know or, or you know it's all kind of scattered around like that and there was a, a woman there I didn't know who she was um and because I'd been up to the bar um there was the only seat was opposite this woman. So um, I was like, hi, I'm Mark. And she went, oh, I'm, I'm Veronica. She must have been, I don't know, um, late seventies or something. I'm like, hi. Um, I, I said, it's funny. I've never known anyone called Veronica. I've never met anyone called Veronica. And she went, you know, it's one of those old names and she's chatting away. I said, you know, it's funny because um, when I'd been clearing out my dad's stuff, I came across all these letters from someone called Veronica. And I said, it's really weird because, you know, the only real Veronica I've got any kind of even vague attachment to is this kind of person that my dad used to write to back in the early 50s called Veronica, you know, lived up in whatever. And she went, yeah, that was me. No way. I was like, shit. I was like, you're joking. You know, because I, you know, there would be no reason for, anyway. So, and I was like, what was he like? 
And she went, oh, he was just the life and soul. He was like, you know, we, we lived in different places. We'd meet up, we'd do this stuff. He, he would like have all of these ideas about what to do all weekend. He was like just a ball of energy and whatever. And it was so sort of demolishing, you know, it's like, and I actually remember saying, are you sure it was my dad? <laughs> I literally had never ever seen him like that in my life about anything at mm. all. And she was like, no, he was just like that. And it, it really kind of brought home to me, I think, how, yeah, we might have our kind of default settings um, and things that kind of get shaped in our upbringing. But there are plenty of kind of, I think, it's very easy to go down a few cul-de-sacs or, or roads that turn into cul-de-sacs mm. uh, and find yourself kind of creeping back onto the main road and kind of going along the main road with a little less zest and umph than you did before. And what was it? That happened to him then, do you think? All sorts of things. So he found out um, he found out he was adopted. Um, and then I think there was... Um, they, so he was born in Sri Lanka, moved here when um, all the independence happened in 48. Mm. So he came over, he was about 13. Um, never... Th apparently there was some could have happened. His mum came looking for him and everyone told her to piss off which he found out about later. He wanted to be a pilot, but he couldn't because he was colorblind. Oh. Uh, anyway, in his, my mum and he split up, you know, his daughter, you know, like he worshiped my sister, you know, it was mm. like she went to live, you know, there were just these kind of endless things um, that I think, you know, and, and having no money and living in a perfectly nice council, you know, they were, they were, it was just, you're just going like, by the time you're kind of 33, all the doors are shut. You know, you carry on doing what you're doing and that's about it. Um, a very different time of life, different, you know, you were old when you were 40 then. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think like that. Everything just got smaller and smaller. Yeah, it's the like box kind got of smaller. Of attrition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and unfortunately I found myself in that box with him. So we had a, Yes, because it's unusual though, isn't it? For the, for the um, well, it's unusual just to be a father and son together, but mm. it is also unusual for, for one of the children to choose the father and another child to choose the mother. So that, that's a super unusual situation to find yourself in. It was literally Especially because- if you I... weren't absolutely, you know, fond of each other. Oh Christ, no. no I, I mean, it was honestly, I tell you what, I, I, again, I remember it quite clearly of just going, well, I'll stay with dad if Rachel's going with mum. Just out of like, literally that's what we did in football. It's like, you gotta have even sides. Um, and, and that wasn't like taken against my mum or anything. Um, but it was also down to a whole load of other kind of random thoughts, like um, there were three tip tops in the freezer. Like, they're mine. Uh, you know, it, it, when the ice cream van comes around, uh, if we get a family block, it's only two of us we've got to share it with. This is magic. We don't have to watch girls' telly. Okay. We could just watch war films. It's going to be ace. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it wasn't. Totally not. No, we um... just, um, we clashed like shite until mm. I left home, you know. You appreciate things much more for not having stuff. Mm. And uh, it's like the food tastes better when you've been cold, doesn't it? Or uh, when you've had a, if you've had to work your bollocks off, then having a holiday feels amazing. If you can go on holiday all the time, yeah, you know, well, totally it that. doesn't, you don't appreciate it. So something about, uh, you, it's something about observing your father and how he was kind of like he had hopes that were never realised and mm. then just kind of bumbled along and actually for you to feel like well uh, the things that I love to do I'm able to do the things I love to eat I've got a nice lunch coming up that those are those feel like uh, looking back now I have actually really made it. And so, yes, I completely see that. I remember when I first met you and when, when I first met you, but when we first talked together and um, we had a joke, which I wasn't sure whether it was a joke at the time, but <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you had recently received some awards and of which now I think you're highly decorated and, and, and maybe you kind of believe it. But at that point, uh, you dropped every maybe few minutes <laughs> to the conversation Absolutely. in front of other people that it, and it was made a joke it was award-winning 
food writer Mark Diacono uh, would like to present you with a macaron. (laughs) (laughs) And and I thought, is he making a joke of this? And then we had a really interesting conversation about feeling like a fraud. And I was like, how can you feel like a fraud? You're an amazing, you look, look at this place that you've built, look at this garden, look at this beautiful food, look at, you know, look, look, look at all this. And you were like, no, in here, there's this feeling like someone might somehow notice that it's this is all just emperor's clothes uh which obviously it wasn't but i think and it's not just you that feels like that a lot of people feel like especially in this industry of where we're kind of almost self-made i guess it's not like anyone took us aside at university and said now you will be a food writer and Mm. this is how to do it you Mm. make your own little path to where you're going and you have to because it's entirely an expression of you and what you do to believe in it is quite a leap isn't it it's really it's really interesting that as you you say it's kind of you create the space and um i think as soon as you end up doing something creative or that's in in some way an expression of yourself you know, it's, it's, I think most people will have some elements of, um, you know, am I, am I, who cares what I think about apple crumble, you know, who, all of these things, you know, what's the point? And I, I, I totally have that. And I totally um, feel like, because we can't do everything, you know, I'm very good at certain things. And I find that quite hard to say. And it's only because I'm able to go, well, you know, I've written however many books it is. So I can't be shit at it, um, you know, but I still have all those conversations and there's still the jury will sit on my shoulder about everything, you know, and I'm now I'm, I'm trying to write another book um, that's not food related at all. And I feel it in massive spades, you know, this, who wants to read this? What's the mm-hmm. point of that? Why am I writing this? Why, why am I even, you know, this is just, um, you know, entirely self-indulgent yada 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 and I think I, I, I've come to the conclusion that a lot of that is actually really um, if you have that it's very likely that you're at least entering a place where what you're doing is personal and kind of you know um, has some uh, weight and and kind of intention behind it and I think that's quite important and if you feel absolutely confident and magic about all of it then that's great but if you don't that's not necessarily a bad thing you know and I've seen so many people who have it in some form who are utterly amazing at their thing that I think it's just the nature of being alive well it's not actually uh because some people are too satisfied with what they do and Mm. then there's no rigor in their work and they just put out the very first thing but you know Mm. and there it is Mm. and uh and that that means that then they don't they're not self-editing and there's a level it's a spectrum isn't it if you're self-editing so hard that you don't do anything then that's too much but there's a a sweet spot in the middle where you're aware that you're only as good as your last book or your last performance or your last whatever and that you each time you need to be present we used to do um when i was at at the commune uh we used to do workshops that was how the commune made its money and so we had people coming in and we had this one performance artist uh called jonathan Kay, who was just amazing he was an amazing performer but he used to run these workshops where which were about they were you didn't necessarily have to be a performer to go to them and so i went i was about 15 and there was one and and they were about exploring what it is to be present and real Mm. and there was this one exercise where you had to to, he would sit at one end of the room as the king and you had to do whatever you were going to do to entertain him and you'd everyone would be at the back of the room and you had to walk up towards him doing your thing singing or dancing or saying a poem or whatever it was and as soon as he saw that you weren't present and you didn't mean it and you weren't kind of fully doing it he would shoot you (laughs) you had to kind of fall on the floor and crawl off in shame and then the next person would go but I remember that actually that that spoke to me so much and because I was a singer at that point I mean I'm still once a singer was a singer I guess but I was actually performing that that my thing was 
the the telling the song as though it was a story and meaning it and uh, and after that I made much I made people cry much more and I used That's... to like when I was at university I'd go to uh, to like Irish pubs in, in Putney and old men would just be like weeping <laughs> I'll be singing Irish <laughs> folk songs. But to me, that was like, that's it. That's it. That's what everything should be. Should yep. be performing as though this is what matters because you don't have necessarily that internal sense of I'm the greatest and everything I do is, mm. you know, which maybe people who are handed everything on a plate don't aren't forced to question, am I worth it? One of the one of the things I think of, one thing it took me a while to realize about writing is that the job isn't writing the job's editing, oh. you know, um, you know you, you you throw it up onto the page and it can be dreadful and the craft is getting it to something that down here the the trickiness along that stage is to keep the freshness and the authenticity and the honesty of what you meant in the end but the other thing as you say is. You can't. You you. The other big thing you have to have is press send. Um, you know you've got to you've got to press send, and that's the that's the crucial skill I think in all of this is to get from A to B, and then get it gone. Because if you don't get it gone, it's perfection. I think is is the, the enemy of everything, and um, it, it 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 it's it, it it's the cop out. Yeah. Yes. It's the cop out, you know. It's it never. It means you never do anything. You know, you never get rid of it. It's never how you want it to be. And actually, mm. it's the thing to hide behind. But I, it, it's interesting that I think you do need to keep questioning and keep. Um, oh, do you know what? It, it, this this kind of gets back to the old man as well. When he died, that was such a pivotal point in my life. And mm. the main reason it was a pivotal point in my life is um, it was when I totally understood something that I already knew, which is that all of this is temporary. You know, we are, you know, Joni's particles of change orbiting around the sun. You know, we are literally a sneeze, you know, and you have to kind of try and get over all of the things in between the now you and the whatever it is you want to do you, whether that's, you know, whether that's mowing the lawn or whether it, whatever you want to spend your life doing and the whatever person you want to be, you have to try and move towards that person, you know, otherwise you're going to end up being the limiter on yourself. There's plenty enough limitations out there in the world anyway, but mm. you want to be, you don't want to be the filter on yourself first, you know, the compromise, the agent of compromise that kind of keeps you in a box. And that was the biggest thing. I remember consciously making a decision that my default answer would be yes rather than no. I'll tell you what, when I, when I, started, when I started doing courses at River Cottage, uh, about two weeks before I was going to do the first course I'd ever done, I was quite nervous because I'm... I was absolutely, I remember being at university and not being able to stand up in front of the class and read anything or whatever. And mm. I, I went, I was doing something on the same day. Sarah Raven was doing something there and we chatted a bit. And I said, how do you do it so easily? You know, and she said, oh, all you got to do to start off is um, just be a little bit of yourself, but be that little bit 100%, you know, you don't have to be the whole you. You, don't, you. you can just play this little bit. And as soon as you do that for it, and I thought, Fuck, I'll give that a go. And um, I did, and it kind of worked. And then you get used to playing, not playing that role, but opening that part of yourself. And the more you do that, the more it becomes a habit, and the more you realize that you don't have to be there, you can be the center person that you are. And it becomes much, 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 much more easy to the point where I would say that was... The place that I kind of, apart from being utterly alone and writing, I absolutely love doing that kind of thing, you know, fronting things at shows and doing all that kind of stuff. Mm. Absolutely love it, you know, mm. running courses, all that kind of thing, from being absolutely petrified of it. Well, I would say for me, when I started teaching, I thought because I've always been told that I was a little bit much <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I. I don't know if you can understand that, no, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. that I because I'm 
as a person, I'm not very censored and I tend to say exactly what I think. A spade is, is a spade is a pickaxe. <laughs> and, um, and so when I started teaching, I thought I got to rein this in because I'm going to offend people constantly and they're going to see that I'm a lot of something too much. And so I, uh, and it made me nervous in a way that I'm not, I'm not a nervous yeah. person. No. And I love to meet people. I'm Irish, you know, we are, the, the talking is the thing. But actually, as I was teaching and, and getting feedback from people and, and getting feedback from, just from doing the, the, the work, I realized that I could be more myself and people liked it and I could goof around and mm, it was okay. Mm, and mm. that they would still learn. I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to constantly be somehow suppressing that, that silly, foolish part of myself in order to, to get the information across. And so I would say now I'm very much myself. And that I think that's that being yourself and, uh, and doing the thing you love is actually that authentic expression is what people really like. And that's the same with you, that you're very much just yourself when you're teaching or when you're presenting and, and you goof about and you tell silly stories and that's why people enjoy it they don't want some kind of slick pre-packaged thing mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel nice it's interesting that you have that thing about having to kind of be someone else or another version of you and that you realize actually it's the you you that is is the thing that works you know and it is you know i've i've, I've done things with you before and you totally even when people are doing things, you you don't have to do a whole lot to kind of regain everybody in your company very easily and very quickly. You know, it's like, um, and it's partly, you've, I think you've got a way of speaking and, and, a, and a tone and a kind of um, just a way of being that makes that you don't have to go, hey, everyone, you know, you, you, you just speak and it's kind of, it, but but I do think also the way you do it. <laughs> and the room falls silent. The room falls silent. <laughs> it's, it's Naomi, don't, shh. It was realising I was all right at something, I think. Yeah. You know, once you, it's quite a nice message, isn't it? I think, you know, we're, we're all kind of, um, I think confidence and momentum is a massive thing in life, you know. Mm. And if you do it once and it's good and people like it and you do it, did it all right, the next time becomes easier. And then you kind of think, as you, as you were saying, you know, it's like, okay, I can have all the jewelry on my shoulder, but actually um, the evidence here is that people are having a nice time. The feedback's good. Um, you know, there are people having a good time. I'm having a good time. It feels like I shouldn't be getting paid because you know, you're supposed to suffer aren't fun, you, to get yeah. paid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, also maybe I could just believe it. Totally. Rather totally. than having to think, oh, this is something's wrong. Uh, someone's going to, something's going to happen, which is bad that I've not prepared myself for, or, you know, maybe people are hating totally. it, but they're pretending to like it or uh, all of that totally can just that. be let go. Well, I, I, I always, you know, for a long time had that feeling much less now, um, still there, but I still had that sense of there being elastic between the now me and the old me and that I would get snapped back into, um, you know, a, a, a life I was unhappy in, um, yeah. you know, that's kind of gone for the most part, which is great. But there, there, there's definitely that sense of that. I kind of work very hard at what I do. So it's quite, mm -hmm. it's quite a funny mix. I think it's quite like being kind of um, like a jazz musician, you know, where you plan it all out and you know it like the back of your hand and then you relax and play what you like. Yeah. You know, yeah. so or you, even, know, you know, even that you make it look like it's completely effortless. And exactly. I mean, because jazz musicians, they're like, you know, the, the, the rhythms are so complicated and they're yep. not just, they're not half stoned playing. They're actually on, they're like the same as concert musicians. Mm. They're playing in a way that is incredibly technical. And yet it feels like smoking in a jazz band. <laughs> that, I've just picked a few notes. Art. I've just picked a few notes out. Exactly. Just nice, threw them it? together. Yeah. But yeah. that's what your writing feels like. Yeah. So when you published Herb, I uh, and I read out a few of the, the kind of intros because when I read the book, what I loved the most about it was the little stories, those little intros and and that those little stories have such a kind of there's something about the, your word choice and it's really hard to describe good writing, isn't it? But you know it when you read it. 
and your word choices what I love about them is that you avoid cliches or you consciously use them you know like you use you might use a phrase that that you'd be like oh yeah that phrase means such and such but generally you put words together in a way that feels familiar and yet exciting and so that's what I love about the stories is you think what that's I always read them and think that's such an excellent choice of adjective or whatever it is it's so it, this is an abstract way to describe it but and what I'll probably do is I'll probably bookend the podcast with a little reading of one of your um, descriptions lovely. just because they are that and I would that's why I'm excited that if you're writing a, a book of stories or a something that isn't a cookbook because you're not just a cook you're not just a cook who writes down the recipes you're someone who has a story to tell about food well that, that's very lovely of you thank you because that, that that's it's funny isn't it because you you know I've been lucky enough to kind of work with and meet a lot of people who are kind of writers and teachers and food people and the ones I admire are the ones who um I just want to pick up the book and read it you know, Diana just, Henry. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, you know, how to eat a peach. I yeah. took that book to bed. Same here. I, 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 I can't. There's part of it I can't read because um, or can't use very well because um, I dropped it in the bath because I tend to read in the <laughs> bath. And and I, I, the day it came, I just read it from front to back. You know, and I I don't. I'm a terrible reader. You know, I get distracted and my brain goes off on other things. You know, it makes me think of other stuff. Mm. Um, but I absolutely loved that book. I love. Um, Nikki Segner, you know, she, she yes. um, you know, and, and I, I remember um, the, f the first time I won Food Book of the Year. I, uh, here it is. Here it is. Um, I met Nikki and I, and I said to her, I totally love, the, you know, it sounds, you know, Food Thesaurus sounds like you've written it on Mauritius with your feet dangling off a jetty in warm water mm. with a mojito. And she said it was eight years of hell. You know, really yeah she said it was eight years of hell she said I wrote it like this the publisher wanted to move it around like this we ended up editing like that but still she's kept you know the craft and the but the joy in it and the little yeah. turns of phrases that I, it, one of those people who I read um I read her and I'm kind of delighted and furious you know <laughs> because I'm like oh no why how can I get to be this you know how can I get to write as well as this person yeah. and I have it with her I have it with Diana I have it with other people I, I think there are lots of people who are really really under appreciate I think the elegance of Nigella's writing is often underappreciated when she's appreciated for many other things you know um, well, I, she it, was a journalist I mean oh, yeah a journalist first and foremost not some kind of you know screen I mean I love her but mm. I feel actually in late in latter years, the campness of her TV shows really belies where she came from and I'm frustrated for her. Oh, well look, I feel like I should let you go. And the thing about us is that uh, we have a history of speaking for hours and hours and hours. Nick, uh, Mark will call me up and say, I just have to ask you this one thing two hours later. <laughs> two hours later, we're like, and anyway, did you know about the whatever? Have you been, what are you, yeah, we're, honestly. <laughs> we're, we're a pair of ramblers, aren't we? Never knowingly um, under talk. No, definitely not. But and and I could talk to you forever because I just think you have you have so many interesting things to say. But also, you're such a warm and lovely person, and uh, and it comes through in everything you do. Uh, and you have a real passion for what you do, and that's such an overused word. But that 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 enthusiasm might be a better word. You're you're a, you're like a spaniel. <laughs> everything that you're into oh now I'm I've discovered this. this thing yeah which is great which is what that's what you want isn't it because that's how you communicate it to other people because uh we need to be kind of dragged along with you to to see what it is that you see in the thing that you're now excited about uh, and that's the wonder of your books is that you were into fermentation and your sour book is just 
a hundred percent look look at all these different things that you can make with fermentation and then herbs and it's not like you've suddenly discovered those things but you're turning your spotlight on them mm. and you spent years and years and years loving herbs and learning how you like to use them and now you're just condensing into a book I'm aware it's not an overnight thing but the feeling of the book is of someone who is just overflowing uh with love for whatever that particular thing is so and I'm, I'm super excited to to see what your next thing is no, you're uh, very lovely thank you oh. can i recommend the one thing that will make everyone like that have a yeah. lot of crap jobs yes <laughs> go and do a load of crap jobs and then you realize when you get a good one that you're all right at you'll be like shit i'm staying here this yeah. is great this so Definitely. beats that it so beats this how could you simulate that you need to we need to simulate that in a computer it, program mm. um so that you can you can accelerate it's that accelerated enlightenment well i'm so glad that you found the thing that you love to do because you're thriving and I can feel it's like you've settled in in place and that comes through it that you have a kind of sense of contentment which is absolutely magical I'm really pleased Thank you deserve you. it I'm very lucky boy well look Mr Diacono I'm going to let you go off and make miso and Thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to your miso book uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be a very, it'll be a very long book with lots of stories. Lots of, I started making these lots and lots of stories. Here it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not. It it's definitely not a thing for people with ADHD. It's um, really not. Well, it, be, it could maybe a miso and walking book be a good combination. Yeah. Yeah. I I made miso. Then I walked the coast of Britain and I came yeah. back and my miso <laughs> and I was walked, ready. I walked all the way to Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Well, it's been a total joy. Thank you, Naomi Devlin. You are an absolute queen. My pleasure. Wehey. So I thought as me and Mark talked about uh, Diana Henry and Nikki Segnet and food writing that I would just read a little bit out because I absolutely love Diana Henry's writing as well as Mark's and uh, goodness there's something about people writing about food and food experiences that just takes you straight there and this one reminds me of my trips uh, back to Ireland with my mum uh, and she has a real thing for mackerel and so she would get mackerel straight from the sea and and that would be the kind of treat that she would have and a thing that we didn't really have much when we were back in the UK. Uh, anyway, so this is In My Own Backyard from How Shall We Eat a Peach by Diana Henry. It's hard for me to listen to Van Morrison's song Coney Island. It's not about Coney Island in New York but about a little island in Loch Ney in Northern Ireland. It relays the small details of a Sunday driving around that area in autumn sunshine, picking up the Sunday papers, doing a bit of bird watching. As Van says, the crack was good. The line which gets me is this, stop off at our glass for a couple of jars of mussels and some potted herrings in case we get famished before dinner. Van growls through this, half singing, half speaking, in his untouched Northern Irish accent. And there is my father, summed up in a song. Most years we went to Dublin on holiday and the first stopping point was a place where Dad bought cockles and mussels. He ate them in the car from little paper cartons. The shellfish stop indicated that we were really on our holidays, that we were going to the magical south of Ireland and that Dad was happy. Food marked this holiday excitement, but also joy taken in life. Here, try it, he would often command, holding out a forkful of some new flavour and texture, willing us to be more adventurous. My dad is only 78, not old, but I know that one day I will listen to Coney Island and that it will be unbearable. So we also wanted to read a little bit from Mark's book, Herb, A Cook's Companion. And it's about Mark uh, walking on the... Uh, 
on the Devon coast where he lives and loves to walk and or at least I assume it's the Devon coast because he describes it as going up and down like an ECG and that essentially is exactly where Mark lives <laughs> it's just uh, honestly you're you're going up or down and you're either your calves are aching or your thighs are aching uh, and a walk is really a serious walk and so eating something at the end of that walk feels like the absolute joyful uh, experience because you've used your body so much and then to have it uh, with the kind of oregano that you smelled on the way from the walk that just yeah that that really sings to me of uh, food that that takes you to a place takes you back to that walk that you've just been on so this is steak and chimichurri a few years ago, an old friend and I took a couple of days out to walk a few dozen miles of our local coast. As the afternoon wore on and the lunchtime pints wore off, the wind blew so, so hard that we made laughing, leaning towers into it, knowing that were it to drop, noses might be dashed against the grass. The ground lifts, levels and drops like an ECG on that particular stretch. And as we descended towards the village to overnight, the relief was tempered only by the jab of blistered toes against the front of boots. On this final furlong, with the sun being lost to the sky behind us, the scent from the dusty sandstone footholds was as welcome as an old friend, oregano. I rubbed my hands over it as if starting a fire with a stick, its oily green perfume taking me to places I've yet to visit. Later, deserved pints and steak each mouthful against a backdrop of wild oregano as my fork rose to my mouth. And ever since, that's how I want steak, with oregano. And when it comes with chimichurri's heat, so much the better. I have only four opinions when it comes to steak. I salt and pepper it before cooking. I prefer thick to thin. Resting is beyond essential. And how you like it, rather than how someone says it should be done, is best. So that's Mark Diacono and I realised I forgot to say in the intro that Mark was about to do a miso workshop and uh, that's why I was gently ribbing him about next year expecting his miso book to come out and he very rightly pointed out that <laughs> you have to put several years into actually learning and becoming an expert on miso so we'll expect that in maybe in, in about 10 years time uh, Mark's book on miso uh, and walking will be out and I very much look forward to that. You can find links to uh, Mark's website and Instagram account on the show notes and he is Mark Diacono on Instagram so go and check him out and hopefully at some point in the not too distant future we'll get back to running workshops and you never know we might even run a little fermentation one at some point and that would be lovely because he is genuinely a, a pleasure to hang out with uh, I urge you to check him out all right I'll see you next week Thank you.